good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and I hope that I'm back for good. What I'm doing tonight is I'm uploading four podcasts. Actually, the first one, Mean Lady Talking Podcast, episode 35, is one that I recorded while I was still sick, so my voice was breaking. And then the other three are all the promised material about grief. It was something that I once tried to put into one podcast and I mucked it all up. So this weekend I recorded it in three parts. So it's the whole kitten caboodle about the grief process. Now, before I go on, 36 will come in three parts, and unlike most even numbers of the podcast, it's not a mail we get mail, but it's just the makeup podcast that I have for you. Now, in exchange for this, what I would like you to do, if you are in the Facebook group, if you are anywhere in the world, understand that there is no such thing as an average length of time it takes to get over a relationship. I don't want to hear anybody talking about, well, it takes a month for every year you were together or it takes a year for every month you were together. I mean, it's ridiculous. The things I have heard are ridiculous. And every few months, somebody shows up in the Facebook group. So how long should this take? Time does not heal all wounds. If it did, you would never meet people who are bitter and upset years after a loss. And there are plenty of people that go tralalaring off, and I talk about this in the series, and they've done nothing with their grief. They've just let it be. And that's dysfunctional and pathological. So who knows if that person's ever getting over it? They're not even acknowledging that it even happened. And when I go into the grief process, I'll be talking about people on breakups are able to deny that the breakup happened or that it bothered them or whatever. There's a lot of people like that. Even just thinking about it in a common sense, not exactly information infused way, but a common sense way, how could there ever be a formula for how long it takes to get over something? Everyone's different. The relationship is different. Everybody's process is different. Time does not heal all wounds. The difference between a person who gets over it in a reasonable amount of time. A breakup should take anywhere from a few months to a few years. And when I say a few years, I don't mean like, you know, two or three years. If you were married for a lot of years, you have children together, you have all kinds of things to sort out. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight. So if I said to the woman who's been married 25 years and has five children and the guy like ran off one day when she thought everything was perfectly fine, and he runs off with the 25-year-old, leaving her alone with the kids and not giving her any money and all kinds of things. Getting her through the emotional devastation of that breakup is going to be very different from somebody who was dating somebody for eight months and they would never make a commitment. It's going to be two very different processes. Now, it's not just the circumstances. It's like, who did these people come into the relationship? How many unresolved losses did they have when they got into this relationship? Because that will give you a little bit of information as to how hard it's going to be for them to get over this one. Oh, you mean that's individual? Oh, you mean I need that variable to plug into the formula? I don't have that variable. Help. 
No, seriously. There cannot possibly be one answer or one answer that fits everybody. It doesn't even fit from person to person. If two kids are in a family and their parents are divorcing, those kids are not going to experience a divorce the same. It's going to depend on who the kid is, their relationship to each of the parents, and how their personality has been dictating how they deal with grief and loss. There are so many variables. So even if you were twins in a family, you're still going to have a different reaction and a different recovery than your twin is because you're not going to have the exact same relationship with either of your parents that your twin does. And you're not the same person as your twin, even though identical twins are very, very similar. They're not the same. And many times identical twins will deal with life stressors differently. Sometimes there's one of the twins that tends to be the stronger one and the other one tends to be a little weaker but get it done but there is absolutely no way no way to predict when somebody is going to get over something it depends on how much work they put into it and this whole series is about mean lady talking podcast episode 36 a b and c are all going to to be about the grief process and how it works and how you can keep from getting stuck and what you should expect. So I hope I'm back. I know I still sound sick. I'm trying to rest my voice as we go on. So here we go. I'm glad to be back. And please, please, please send me email for mail. We got mail or any questions that you want. So send me mail, guys. Let me know what you think. Talk to you later. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady yourself, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast. And we are coming up to, we're not quite there yet, but we're in the upper 30s. We're almost to our 40th episode, and I'm making some changes to the podcast. Not a lot, but some. And one of the things that I'm going to do, because getting sick has really shown a light on this, that if I don't have episodes already in the can, I shouldn't be committing to Tuesdays and Fridays. So I'm I'm addressing that in two ways. One, I'm making extra episodes as I can. As you might be able to hear, my voice is still not 100%. I can't seem to kick this. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just want to let you know that until I get at least five ahead because I thought I had a couple ones, but then when I leave them there and I listen to them months later, they must get stale or something. I don't know. What I'm doing right now is I am attacking it on two fronts. One, I'm going to try to get those episodes in the can, extra episodes. I'm just not at a place with my voice right now where I can do that. And the second thing is to say, we're going to have two podcasts a week. Whether I do them on Monday, on Tuesdays and Fridays, or Mondays and Thursdays, or or both on Saturday, I'm going to do two, two 
podcast a week, no matter what. And it took me a while last week. I was laying in bed with this crazy respiratory thing and I was watching the people who are. One of the things that happened, and I agree with Judge Marilyn Million will say, say it, forget it, write it, regret it, which means that if you something in writing, you sort of can't take it back. I think about this a lot. I think about all these these photos that I see people sending while they're doing things, whether it's vacations or just a day at the beach or whatever. And I, I think, do you ever just enjoy where you are or is it not enjoyable until you slap it on Facebook and 75 people like it? I mean, honestly, I, I just... And a friend of mine who's not too much younger than me went to Europe, did the same thing that I see people do all over. And I said to him, because I know him and I know that he's a very thoughtful person, he's a very mindful person, he's a very purposeful person. So I was kind of surprised that he had been clicking away to the point where the royal guards in Vatican City yelled at him for taking a photo of the Sistine Chapel, which is not allowed. But I said to him, it's really good when you're on a vacation or a day at the beach or at work or having a meal, whatever it is, you don't have to photograph everything. And back when, back when buying film, having it develop costs money, people didn't photograph every single thing. If I went to a wedding and I shot off like five rolls of film and came home and paid for them, you know, but it would be, it was so expensive. And now I'm looking through the pictures. I'm like, oh, good God. But when you have it on your phone and you're just able to share it electronically, you just do it. And I understand the compulsion. But what I don't understand, and it's the reason I don't understand is because it doesn't go with a mindful, healthy life. Endless, I'm taking a photo of this and your brain's already uploading it to to Facebook and already thinking of likes or whatever. What I have tried to explain to people, when you put the phone down, when you go somewhere and you integrate the experience that you're having into your being, it's important. We need those good times for ourselves. I am, I am nervous that we're all losing that. When we go someplace, we're working, 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 you know, 50 weeks out of the year. And then we go on a two-week vacation. We need to have our head where our feet are. We need that relaxation. We need that downtime. We need that rest. And when you are someplace and you are just taking photos to put on Facebook, you're not really doing it in a way that is as unhurried, unrushed, and important as it should be. Because say you like frame the ocean and then you look the picture. You have just inserted a rote mechanical gesture into a moment where it really shouldn't have one. And I don't know how to get that across to people, especially people who are coming off breakup, who are new in relationships, even couples on their honeymoon. You want your honeymoon to be between you and your honey. When I saw this woman that I worked with, her son was, her son, not even her daughter, her son was texting her photos of his honeymoon 
all day long. I said, what, what, what? Does he understand he's with there, over there with his wife and not his mother? Like, does he get that? And she was, she was mad that I said that. But it was so true. When you, when you stand on the edge of a beach, that is beautiful. It is gorgeous. You don't live on that beach. You can't spend your, the rest of your life on that beach. The weather is nice. The weather's not always going to be nice. And you are at peace. And you're not always going to be at peace. Or even if you're not at peace, maybe you're just out there trying to get to some peace. I will guarantee you that just standing at the water's edge and looking at the water and sucking in the goodness of light and just trying to make peace with the peace, even if you have agitation in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, even if you have that agitation going on, but you stand there just you and the big wide world, that is a healing, cleansing moment. It is something that you are going to be able to develop in you. The ability to be quiet, the ability to go low, when you want that ability to exist. But if you run up to the water's edge and you pull out your phone and you snap a picture of that and then you start thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to put this up there and I'm going to say this witty little thing about, or maybe on Instagram, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other experience. And I'm not saying, I mean, I know that there are people that can come onto the beach, snap the picture, put the phone away and then have the peaceful moment. But I still maintain that if you just leave that photo off out the only place that exists is in your brain it is much healthier for you because the minute you upload it to facebook it changes meaning and the minute a friend likes it or another friend asks questions it changes meaning it is no longer yours no longer yours and that was one of the stories that i tell i tell and i've written about this story i apologize my voice again i tell the story about this couple that was on the train there was a gorgeous, I could tell they didn't take the train. This was com the commuter train up through Westchester and Dutchess County. I, they looked like they were going to Poughkeepsie. That was the train we were on. It didn't look like they traveled this route very often. It was a Friday night. So assuming we were assuming, that, I was assuming they were going. The, the sun was bright red. It was absolutely gorgeous as we pulled up the Hudson. There were birds there was a beautiful sky a beautiful sun a beautiful sunset and the guy and he had to be about 22 they had to be about like 22 20 somewhere around the guy was looking out the window absolutely mesmerized his girlfriend was on a phone and he had been leaning against her and without taking his gaze from the window he took his hand and he tapped her on the shoulder and he and when she turned he just pointed to the sunset and what did she do she jumped away from him him who was just leaning against her and tapped her to share this sunset she pushes him up across the door where i was standing and she starts clicking away and i thought you gotta be kidding you gotta be kidding you did not just do that you did not just do that i went oh my god that did i didn't just see that i did not just see that 
The way it should have gone. Now, he didn't have a phone anywhere. The way it should have gone was he should have tapped her, continued looking, and then she should have put her chin on his shoulder because that's the way they were situated. He was kind of leaning against her. She could have put her head on his shoulder and the two of them could have watched that sunset, which took like another five minutes for it to go down. And that was it. That was it. That was the end of the sunset. But instead, he's looking at it. He just got like pushed up. And she's in the store clicking away. I, I think it was on Facebook before they ever, I'm sure it was on Facebook before they ever got to Poughkeepsie. And I thought, you have no idea what you just did. And to her, that was okay. To her, that was nothing unusual. He got it and she didn't. And I mean, I don't know what went through his head after that. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he knows it all. 22 year old girls are like this. I don't know. I don't know. But. Please start to monitor your activities like this. Does everything you do have to have acknowledgement or affirmation or whatever from another person for it to be considered genuine? And if you're on Facebook and you're putting all these things up, is it really for you? What? Why are you doing that? I have people on Facebook where I swear I'm... I would not be surprised if they posted a picture of them brushing their teeth in the morning. I would not be surprised. That's how inane it is. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care what you have for dinner. I don't care what you have for breakfast. I don't care that your kid spilled a cereal on his head. I don't care. I don't care. I love you and I love my friendship with you, but all these other things don't care. And I don't think you care either. It's like we have to figure out where we're going with this. So anyway, Judge Marilyn Millian was talking to these two women. I mean, first of all, the fight got completely out of hand. And the one who was actually in the wrong said to the other one, listen, B-word. And like another thing that bothers me, like why do young women call each other that word? I it, it absolutely makes me crazy. I cannot imagine being 22 years old and my female friends calling me that word. I would have punched them in the face. We just didn't talk like that. And it was like, we were more aware of the fact that even if you're angry at somebody, you don't use that word at that completely gone away and all this kind of, I don't want to say thug culture because it's not really thug culture. It's like little suburban girls trying to be thug culture. Like that's where it comes from. And it's just not okay. First of all, little suburban girls trying to be thug culture is ridiculous. But using these words that just shows how ignorant and stupid they are is even more. Anyway, these two, they look like angels. And then you start, she starts reading their text. You're like, oh my God, what unbelievable craziness. It got crazy in text. It got absolutely crazy in text. That's what happened. She was dead on the money, on the money. She said, I need you young ladies to listen to me. You need to pick up the phone. If it wasn't for the intonation that either of you were reading into these texts, it would not have gotten out of. And one thing that she said was, she said, if you're talking face to face and you say, you know, what, why, why do you think that I would do that? You know, she said, that's called empathy. Like you can hear in my voice that I'm hurt, that you would think that I would do that. But when you're reading it in text and you're having a disagreement with somebody, you're reading, how could you think I'd do that? You know, like you stupid blah, blah, blah. There's, 
intonation. She said it, intonation. You think of the wand that you have, and I've seen this happen in my family more often than not. You put in the negative intonation, the one that would make it sound very harsh to you. You go with that, and then you just keep blowing it up. And what Judge Million said, and I was, I mean, I know she's a TV judge, but she was an actual judge for many years before she was doing this, and she does this very well. But as someone who's an attorney and a therapist, and I I rarely hear legal terminology in mental health, and I rarely hear mental health terminology in legal. She used the word empathy. She said that is what this generation, I think she's talking about millennials, but I know she has daughters like in their late teens. She said that she's told her kids this over and over again, that empathy is what's being lost. And just like I was saying about having that moment to fill you up, the moment where you're watching a sunset, the moment when you're feeling at peace, the moment when you look at some wildlife or you look at the Sistine Chapel, why can't you just have that experience for yourself? There is something missing if you're just clicking away. It just, there just is. And you can't, you can't appreciate that until you start doing it. I think back on so, so many different times in my life when I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s. I was thinking I would be horrified if my friends had taken photos of some of these things, you know? And it's like, I, I don't know. It was like we had our own little world and it wasn't up on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere else. Parents were never going to see what we were doing. Not accidentally, never, because it just was never going to happen. Anyway, the thing is, Judge Million was absolutely correct. She said, and you don't know it till you know it. And that's what I'm saying. If you don't pull back and have experiences, good, positive, once in a lifetime experiences, and just keep them to yourself, that is some self-soothing, self-comfort, self-preservation that you missed out on. Because there's sometimes in life when it's just you and you alone enjoying whatever it is. And because we don't cultivate that, because we don't value that, we are so willing to sacrifice it to give it away. And we shouldn't. There are things that can't teach somebody else. And like Judge Million said about about empathy, going inward and making peace with the peace involves you and only you. When we are in bad relationships, we don't want to get out because we don't know how to do alone. And part of the reason we don't know how to do alone is because even when we're alone, we're sharing that existence, that experience, that whatever it is we're going through with someone else. I mean, I've seen people in the most Picturesque of places. Okay, let me tell you, the world does not need another photo of many, many things. You don't have to go to St. Mark's Basilica in Venice, Italy and take a million pictures. We all know what it looks like. We all know what it looks like. You do not, do not send me pictures of St. Mark's Basilica. I know what it looks like. And if I didn't, I could look it up a hundred million times on the internet. There is no picture that you're going to take on your five days there that is going to be better than the pictures I've already seen and taken and been there. And do you know how many pictures I have of St. Mark's? One, exactly one. The day I went there, 
I walked from the Grand Canal all through Venice. Walked all through Venice. All the little side canals. Blah, blah, blah. Got to right before... Right before St. Mark's, this little tiny, tiny wooden church. I think it was St. Church. I stopped there before I went on to St. Mark's. But when I got there was the, the little bit of water and the thing, the pigeons, the whole nine yards. I sat down at one of the outdoor tables. There were some outdoor tables, little cafes in the square there. And so I sat at one of the tables and I, I ordered a latte. And I looked up and there was just this glint of sunlight on the basilica. And I... I just got up, I took my camera, like one, one shot, one perfect shot. And it's someplace. I'm not even sure where. I'm not even sure where. I didn't, I didn't take any other photos. I didn't take pictures of church. I didn't take pictures of the Grand Canal. I didn't take pictures of inside the Basilica. I don't even know if I can. I didn't even look to do it. And that picture of St. Mark's, which I have someplace. I know I've seen it. I have that in my head. And any time that I've said I've been to St. Mark's, not one person has ever said to me, really, you have a picture? You know why? Because there's a million pictures of St. Mark's. Now, one person has ever said, really? I said, I've been to Pompeii. I've been to Sicily. I've been to Venice. You know, I've been to Firenze. I've been to, uh, I've been all over the place. You know, all over Rome. There are so many places that I have never taken a photo of in Italy. Funny, when I was on the photojournalism course, we only took pictures of scenery. Mount Etna and Italian winery and this, but everybody's saying, well, you know, what does this have to do with anything? Okay, there's a couple of things. Let me shoot. Let me cut to the chase here. Why this little texting thing with people on the people's court triggered this for me. One of the reasons is that I believe everything that, that Judge Million said. I believe in everything that Judge Million said. She and I have very similar philosophies. The other thing is that in both texting or any other form of communication that's not face-to-face, you really are, are on the losing end when it becomes a disagreement. And both of you lose. Both of you lose because you don't know the truth. Neither one of you know the truth because you've each had intonations read into your stuff that you might not have had. So neither one of you has the truth. All you have is another person's words set to your intonations and moods and interpret. That's all you have. You don't have the truth. When you're face to face, somebody could be lying to you. But other than that, you're getting the truth because you're hearing what they're saying and you're hearing the intonation that they are using and not the one that you being angry and not giving them the benefit of the doubt has in your head. Okay. Now, the other reason why I liked what Judge Million said was because it really goes into healthy communication for a lasting love, which is one of my subtitles and one of my chapters in Getting Back Out There. What I say in Getting Back Out There is happy couples have good communication and unhappy ones do not. Healthy couples may know that the silent treatment, barking at the one you love after a long day of work or stomping off during an argument is not functional behavior, but that doesn't mean it never happened. While no one is perfect, a list of guidelines for communication on the couples list will be helpful when the urge to ice up, bark, or stomp comes along. Okay, so I wrote those. And the other thing about this is 
though no one is perfect, you might sometimes get into texting, arguments, testing, conversations, and things become very muddled. Two subchapters after healthy communication for a, health, a lasting love is called texting. And this is what I write about text. Texting has become epidemic, but it's not always a good thing. It can be lazy communication and has only a small place in important relations. It's great for reminding someone to pick up an item at the store and even in some silly fun discoveries early on, but it should not be something a couple engages in too much and never for important conversation. Whenever you are upset with each other or having an argument, avoid texting. I mean, that's exactly what Judge Million was telling these two women who are not a couple, they were roommates. But this is exactly what she was saying, what I said and three years ago in this book. Okay, I'm not saying we didn't come to our own philosophies and viewpoints independent of each other. I'm sure we did. I'm sure she's not stealing my words. I'm just mentioning that I've had this here. Why is the world still doing it? So anyway, texting may be a habit you have gotten into with friends and family and with your partner early on. It's important to break the habit of discussing important things with anyone in text message as feelings are hurt and texts and emails that probably wouldn't hurt via a phone or in-person conversation if you're in the habit of texting with your partner you will each benefit from scaling back saying things by text is easier than on the phone or in person so be careful not to ask questions you don't want answers to and texting early. Part of learning to be in a loving relationship is to learn to let go of disagreements and dismay with your partner. Carrying around hostile exchanges all day and reading them or showing them to every person you know is not going to help anyone get over anything. Avoid the temptation to engage in text wars. Make a commitment to yourself and others that nothing important will be discussed or debated over text. Your life will change for the better. It's also important to spend time together without the phone. If you've ever sat in a restaurant, you've noticed couples or even entire families with their phones out looking at them instead of each other. New studies show that people who unplug and spend time talking to each other are happier than those who don't. Take time to listen to each other and time to just be together. If you have to place a moratorium on phone usage, whether at dinner or after a certain hour, do it. It's hard at first as we've all gotten used to it, but you will be happy you did. Now, this is what I thought of when I saw those two people on the train. I thought about this. If you're waiting in line together, take the time to talk instead of staring at your phone. When Michael and I went to get our marriage license in City Hall in Manhattan, we were dismayed to find the the line snaking out into the hallway. If we had smartphones at the time, I don't doubt we would have pulled them out. Instead, we were entertained by the goings-on in the marriage license office. Oh my God, it was so funny. It was like one of the funniest days ever. 
Between the beleaguered clerks and the mountains of confusing paperwork, the stage was set for several comical vignettes as we waited. We had such a good time watching and laughing that we were almost sorry when it was over. That is so true. We talked about that day for, for years. I'd say that next. For years, we took great pleasure in repeating stories from that day. A few weeks ago, I was in line at the deli and a young couple was in front of me. They were each surfing on their phone. She finished and put hers away and tugged at his arm. He shooed her away. I felt sad for both of them and couldn't help but think back to the day in the marriage license bureau. Thankful there were no smartphones then. Take time to put the phones away and talk to each other and observe what is going on around you. Even if it's waiting in line in the deli. Even if not much happens, it's the ability to withstand boredom and spend it together that will help you grow stronger as a couple. And I stand by that. And when, and maybe I'll send a copy of Judge Million and say, here, give couples, but... Her point is well taken, and I I just want people to try to practice two new things. One is no texting when you're disagreeing, and scaling back on texting if you can. Having more real-life conversations, putting moratoriums on the phone, not at dinner, not at breakfast, not at... Whenever it seems appropriate, Sunday dinner. I have a friend who, her kids to her kids, daughter-in-law's grandkids everybody still come for Sunday dinner there would never be there must be 20 of them at dinner every single Sunday there is not one phone allowed allowed out never she's old school Italian she's just like it is never happening and that's a good rule I mean they spend at least two hours every single Sunday as a family by themselves with absolutely no outside distractions anything that's going on outside of the house except for a ball game on television because all the guys are you know into sports but except for the ball game on television nothing from the outside world comes in nobody's texting nobody's doing anything I have that exact moratorium with my family we're not having dinner together and people looking at their phones stop okay fantasy football can wait till later all we're doing is eating a meal here we're not taking over a country it's like this will be done in a couple of hours you can wait and i think it's really important for delayed gratification to happen that is a sign of a healthy life and i really believe that experiencing things without putting them on facebook is something that needs to become a thing. We need to heal ourselves. And the only way we can heal ourselves and make being alone be okay is when we know how to be alone. And if we can stand on the water's edge and just soak in that experience and appreciate the calm and appreciate the quiet and appreciate the serenity and appreciate that moment in time when you're completely alone in the world with the beautiful ocean, sky, beach, everything in front of you. Until you can have a phone in your pocket that's completely shut off and you stand there and you just soak in this experience or whatever experience, a sunset on a train, you know, uh, watching kids play in the neighborhood doesn't have to be a beach, but taking time to just have this experience all to yourself. And to know that when you're by yourself, you're okay and you can experience things and you can enjoy them and have them. And when you don't have to share them with anybody, when they're precious enough, when your special experience is special enough 
this is too precious to let anyone else even have a comment on it. Not even a like button. I don't even want a like button on that. I don't even want a like button on that. I'm going to have it. I'm going to be in it. And I'm going to walk away over. And I'm just going to have it in my memory. Absolutely will be a better, healthier person for that in that one act. I guarantee you. And the more you get strict with yourself about your texting and your Facebooking and your social media and all this other stuff, as soon as you start to reduce that stuff and you start to get right with yourself, you will notice a big change. I have had so many clients. I've said, just try this. Just try this. It's like we do like this social media cleanse and we do it gradually. But everyone who knows me know that I do at least an hour unplugged in the morning, unless it's the weekend, then I could unplug all weekend and have absolutely nothing to do with anyone. I will shut off my phone for three days on the weekend, uh, Friday night or come back sometime on Monday if I feel like it. I spend time unplugging. I also spend time saying, well, you know, I really want to watch this show because even TV, watching TV is not, un- I'm talking about like any unpluggedness, like, oh, I really need to look at this email or I really need to get this project done or I really want to watch this program, whatever. I can bargain with myself about why I can't go unplug this very minute. Now, if I can do it, I'm like the queen of unplug, unplug, unplug. And if I can do that, you can do that. So you check yourself. You think about it. I also think that people understand that sometimes you're not available. And I talk about this all the time. Let people know you are not available. They don't train you. You train them. If somebody goes, oh my God, you have to text me back right away. Otherwise, I'll think that you're dead. Too bad. Think that I'm dead. Okay. Call out the cops. Look like a moron. I don't care. Just uh, fine. You think I'm dead. Then do what you need to do if you really think I'm dead. Because... A text is a request. It's not a demand. So you need to let people in your life know. And they don't train you. You train them. You can do it. Please try to reduce some of those texts and some of those Facebook uploads and enjoy some of your life just for you. From me and the People's Court. (laughs) I'm kidding. Just from me. Talk to you all soon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.